This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with our data and technology analyst, digital guru, as I like to call him, Derek Konofalski, and we're also joined today by Andrew Nicklin from the Center for Government Excellence at Johns Hopkins University. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I've been a a fan of your podcast for a long time, so I'm super super thrilled to be able to join and, uh, and talk to you. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, the work that you're doing now, and kind of what brought you to that work today. Yeah, so I, I started actually in government technology probably about 20 years ago um, in the city of New York. And I started off doing things like putting together networks and installing PCs and printers, and then moved on to okay, great, now that we have this infrastructure, what are we going to do with it? And so we started thinking about, of course, things like email and, and connectivity. And then we went on to, great, let's put some applications into place. We had the, we had the kind of fortunate, uh, fortunate opportunity at that point where there wasn't a lot of infrastructure in place. So we got to build it, um, which was wonderful. And then I moved into you know sort of managing projects and doing sort of larger scale technology initiatives and um, eventually moved to a citywide technology agency, still at the city of New York, where I started thinking about things like open data and and civic engagement through technology. Um, And so I had the chance to run the New York City's open data program for a few years. Um, I also ran a number of other kind of, you know, sort of less less well-known civic tech initiatives. Um, And then a couple of years ago, in 2013, it's more than a couple of years ago now, but in 2013, I was asked to join Governor Cuomo's administration for New York State, where I was asked to run their open government initiatives. So I did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, I think my interest in data and, and technology has kept me grounded such that I, I wanted to stay in that. I didn't necessarily want to branch out into politics or into um, sort of more or less technical things. Um, and so this opportunity came up for me to join the Center for Government Excellence at Johns Hopkins University. And for those who don't know, GovX, as we call it, is the one of the one of the primary providers of services for a program called the What Works Cities Initiative. And so for the last two years, I have been working kind of behind the scenes at the What Works Cities Initiative to make sure that the cities that we work with are equipped with the with the best tools and the best practices to succeed in both their open data efforts as well as their performance measurement efforts. And now we're um, we're moving into data management as well. So it, it's it's certainly an exciting time. It's it's been a great uh, chance for me to kind of grow as, as a as a person and, and professionally. Um, and I'm continuing to look forward every day to to new challenges and, and new and, and new opportunities. And they will they will come for sure with with technology and government. That's that's gonna be kind of ongoing every single day. Yeah. And, and to that point, I, I think that data is where, for me, data is where that largest amount of growth is going to come from. We hear a lot about the explosion of data and, and the amount of data that's being created on a daily basis and on an annual basis is now is now sort of more than it ever was before and is going to continue to increase exponentially. 
Um, so getting a handle on that and dealing with that well is something that is of particular interest to me. And so, and so here we are. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, people that have listened to the podcast before, they probably know that I'm, I'm really big on open data and this whole idea of government transparency. Cause for me, I think, especially in the political climate that, that we live in now in the U S there's a lot of distrust in government. And I feel like open data is the intersection of technology and the citizens that that's the single biggest piece that I can think of in recent years that really tries to break down that distrust trust between residents or citizens and government, um, and especially in the types of ways that open data is being used now. I first met you at a Code for America summit where you were doing a pre-workshop on open data, um, and I was, you know, I, I'd, I'd known about open data. I had seen some of the open data stuff that, that went in, but I honestly think I learned the most about just the different uses for open data and how beneficial it can be from that workshop that you did. Um, and it's it's kind of fascinating to me to see that that governments all over the country now are starting to embrace this idea of actually this is citizen data. Here you go, have at it, like like open it up. But then also governments using that same data internally um, and, and, and managing that data to do things like performance management and, and to keep track of themselves and to keep themselves accountable. I just think like that is the, the best use of technology I can think of in government right now. I think that's right. I, I think that if you look at sort of the large scale conversations that people are having around open data, the notions of trust in government, um, the notion that open data has the opportunity to create multiple billions of dollars in, in, in economic opportunity, I think that that's, I think those are interesting high level things. And, and I, I think that there is a lot more that happens tactically when it comes to that stuff, right? And so one of those pieces is, as you were saying before, it increases trust in government. You know, some research that Pew did recently suggests that actually open data on its own does not increase trust in government and, and hasn't really changed public opinions about government. I, I'm talking at a broad scale. I mean, I think there's obviously mm -hmm. a lot of local variation. And so what that says to me is that, well, we should be doing open data, of course, but we should be doing open data with purpose. And that's, I don't think, a new philosophy in the open data movement. I think that's been around for a while now. But, the, the, you know, when we started doing this in, in 2008, 2009, the idea was put as much data out there and see what people would do with it and see what kind of inspiration would come from that. And I think that worked for a little while. And I think now the movement has shifted to, well, we haven't really seen specific product or specific successes. Actually, let me rephrase that. We haven't seen broad successes. What we've seen is specific successes in specific areas. Um, uh, things like, uh, you know, 311 data or, or construction and building permits, um, where we're seeing sort of like, uh, you know, that data being used in, in different and interesting ways. And the storytelling that we're, have, that we're getting out of that is, is very specific. And so what that tells us is that we should be thinking about how to release data in a way that's strategic, um, aligns with kind of the vision of, of a city and its leaders and, and, and the public, and isn't necessarily just take whatever data sets you can find internally and, mm -hmm. and make them publicly accessible. Um, so that, that's kind of like one takeaway and one arc that I've seen. The other one, as you were kind of alluding to, was, well, when you start to surface data for public consumption, you actually have to start paying attention to it yourself because, you know, government is generally very con very careful about optics and very careful about um, how uh, how things are perceived. And so releasing data that is of 
say, poor quality or is not completely relevant to a particular situation um, is less likely and so, or, or is less desirable. And so a lot of attention is now being turned to how to manage that data effectively internally so that the open data piece can be very successful. And I think that's really interesting because it's not what I expected, right? Like I, I would expect that people would be interested in having good data quality and having sort of, you know, great internal resources already focused on this stuff. But actually to me, what I'm finding is that open data becomes a little bit of political capital where you have uh, a leader, you have an executive who really supports it and knows that it's something that they want to do and then finds out kind of along the way that there's all these other pieces to it that help sort of in improve internal process, improve internal data sharing and so on. Um, so I, to me, it's been an interesting turnaround to see like, okay, well, you know, open data has been this really wonderful movement. It's been growing. Oh, and now, by the way, we're also having these wonderful additional benefits that we didn't anticipate, you know, 10, you know, five or 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think another thing that's cool that, that we've been seeing kind of as we've been having our conversation about open data, you know, we're we're going to be launching our open data portal here in Gilbert in a, a couple months. Um, I, I find it interesting that people have actually started to think about like the metadata. Now, I'm, I don't mean like the actual like technical metadata, but like data about data collection or, or the data that's collected about an open data portal, like the analytics that go along with that and, and what people are using it. Um, one of the things that we recently had a discussion about, um, I believe it was with Boston, I think, uh, but they were saying that when they looked at like the analytics of the actual users of their open data, that internally um, they had far more like access to the open data portal coming from their internal IP addresses or their internal users than they did externally. Um, and, and not to say that externally people weren't using it, but it was just overwhelmingly more useful to the people inside the organization. Yeah, and I love the point that you made about the political capital because one thing we've learned through our engagement with What Works Cities, and like Derek mentioned, we're what we've the exercise that we've embarked on um, with your group and What Works Cities is to create the open data portal, and we decided to bring every representation from all facets of the organization to the table at the beginning because I thought it was really important to get the buy-in, like you said, from the top down, and I, I can't overemphasize in so much of what we do in the digital space technology, whether it's data or um, video and what we're looking to do, if you don't have um, that, like you said, the political capital to focus on those things that matter. And I keep telling our manager, because this was really his vision, and you know he set out to put actually one of our strategic initiatives um, and the organizational goals for the next year is the creation of the open data portal. So everyone in this organization will be focused on that. And I think that that's really important. And I talked to other cities, I think it was Las Vegas that mentioned same thing. They had a goal around open data that every single employee in the organization had to achieve some, some type of effort towards um, their open data efforts. And I talked to counterparts who are really interested in this space, but they might not have the support from the top down, either from their mayor and council or from management. And so I think it's really, really important, and especially when you're trying to win over minds, um, people in IT department, public safety, who have oftentimes protected data in the past, kept it very close to their vest and, and, and to them and haven't been so comfortable in this space, and we've had to work really hard at um, convincing and changing mindset, and so I think that's a really important part of the process that you know, maybe was a little unexpected, as Derek says, you know, he has a background in this. And so to him, this um, can't, comes very naturally. But I think a lot of times in government, 
like you said, um, you know, there's that distrust, but then also, you know, I think we, we want to be sharing and being transparent, but when Derek makes the point, it's the citizens data, it's not ours. And the minute you say that to a group of people, they're like, oh, okay, you know, then we really, you know, don't have an excuse to not share it. And so, um, but it definitely takes some time um, when you're bringing everyone to the table organization wide to um, convince people why this is, you know, important. And oftentimes people don't feel like they have the resources to dedicate towards something like this and and so talk to me what you've seen in your work um, working with other cities um, convincing them um, to you know participate and I think what work cities is just a terrific um, way to kind of shine a light on many cities across the country who are looking to um, incorporate various digital efforts one of them being data I think that there are a lot of cultural barriers to making data accessible both for internal use, but especially for public consumption, they tend not to be technological ones. And so when we're having conversations with cities, our goal is to try and uncover what the cultural barriers are and then, uh, frankly, break them. Um, Mm -hmm. We we actually have a list. We have one up on our website. Um, We have a list of of common resistance, uh, Mm -hmm. common resistance statements. And then for each one of those, we have a response to that. So, I mean, a very common one is, well, we have sensitive data and we need to protect people's privacy. And well, yeah, that's true. You do have sensitive data, but we're not saying that you should be releasing that particular sensitive data. We're not saying that we should be releasing information that would make publicly identifiable information or or personal health information public. We're saying that there are ways to protect that information while being open and and sort of finding a right balance of, of, of privacy. People say that it's we don't have the resources and, mm-hmm. or we don't have the, the funding to do it. And I think the, the really quick answer to that is that you can operate an open data practice on a shoestring, on, 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 on you know, spit and chewing gum if you really have to. Yeah. Um, ideally, you don't, ideally, you don't want to, but if you, if you start off that way and you can prove success, then you can say, okay, great, we, this is worth making an investment in. So, you know, cost, tends, cost is, is something you can quickly eliminate as, as, a, as a barrier. Then there's a the question of, well, who's going to manage this and who's going to organize it and so on. And usually that comes pretty quickly because there is somebody in – there tends to be somebody in government who's already thinking about these things anyway. It might be um, a GIS professional or it might be a performance manager. But there's almost always somebody who already has a handle on the data and therefore is somewhat of a natural fit to say, okay, let's, let's, let's expand your capacity. Let's expand your role so that you're also thinking about this stuff as well. Um, and so none of, none of the barriers are technological. They're all cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend a lot of time um, yeah, looking at those and then, and then working our way through them. And sometimes it's just having, uh, having setting up repeated meetings. So we, we encourage people to create um, governance practices. And so we want people to meet you know, every couple of weeks or every month and talk about what's going on with their open data program and talk about the barriers that they're encountering in terms of just getting data out the door, whether it's a quality issue or, or even just a, we can't export it out of this legacy system kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way with that communication, um, with the right people at the table, that culture continues to build and it continues to penetrate the organization. So we think a lot about that. And, and, and I think that has shown a, a significant amount of success. I mean, just given the number of cities, particularly in the What Work Cities program that have created open data policies and launched open data programs over the last two years. It's really, it's really been spectacular. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think too, like you you brought up a, a great point about being strategic with that stuff, and like you know maybe being able to have an open data portal on a shoestring budget, and and you already have people that are that are more than likely suited to to manage that stuff or to lead that kind of thing. Um, an open data portal doesn't you know you you don't have to launch right away with every single piece of data that you have you can start with just the most high value data and, and and even thinking about like the high value data for residents versus high value data for people inside the organization like maybe in order to get that buy-in your first data set needs to be something that's really high value for the organization or for specific people in your organization so that they are bought in they can see the benefit of that open data i think that's been one of the most fascinating things to me in looking at the different data sets that we have as a town is is kind of striking that balance between what is important to external stakeholders but also what's important to internal stakeholders to your earlier point you don't just want to shotgun it and then been you know put out as much data as you can kind of you know by happenstance you you really need to plan that out and have those conversations internally to figure out what is going to be the most high value thing that we can put out for everybody and i think that aligns to priorities, right? So, I mean, you're, you're kind of, you were kind of saying this and I just want to, want to be more explicit about it. Um, when we work with cities in the What Works Cities program, we very early in the conversation ask about high level priorities. Well, mm-hmm. what is it that a city manager or a mayor wants to focus on? Um, what are the things that are most important to the city to, to change over the next few years? Um, and then the performance measurement and the open data part of the conversation gets centered around that. Um, So we're not doing this stuff in a vacuum. We're not doing this stuff because we think it's interesting. We're doing this stuff because um, there is a a larger picture objective, a strategic objective, as you say, that those things, that the the data releases and the performance measures fit within. Yeah. And then secondarily, you know, how can the people that are involved in the organization with the open data portal, how they can use that data? Like my favorite thing about our open data process is just that, you know, we haven't even launched this yet. We're still kind of in the we're in the policy and 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 the planning phases of this thing. But I can already see like people in our fire department and our police department, like thinking about all these different ways that that data is going to be useful to them and, and how they can use that stuff to manage their own teams and, and making things more efficient in Gilbert and, and, you know, just raising that, that level of service while keeping the cost the same for the residents. And just, it's just fascinating to me that like they, they're already coming up with these ideas and they're already looking at the data in different ways. Um, I, I do want to touch briefly because, um, I mentioned that when we were in Scottsdale, uh, what work cities did a, what work cities on tour. And you had a really, really great session that you led on bias in data. Um, and you know, before we end, I just, I wanted to, to kind of get some some thoughts from you on bias just in general um, because one of the things that I thought was really fascinating was that we always have conversations about resident bias versus government bias. You know, you're always trying in government to to tell your story to your residents, to, to connect people to what the government is. So uh, again, going back to that trust piece, um, you're, you're trying to get people involved and engaged with what's going on in their local government. Um, but as, as we know here in Gilbert, 
you know, people can take data and, and try and use it against you or, or try and spin it in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily reflect what the data is actually showing. So can you talk about that a little bit about how sh- your strategy might change because of things like bias and, and data that you're putting out to residents? Yeah, bias is an interesting issue. Um, it's, it's highly nuanced and I, I think you, you, spend, you need to spend some time at a high level just sort of recognizing that it's a thing and having good techniques to, to manage for it. Um, I, I personally think that bias can never be eliminated. And, and so I guess first probably we should define what bias means. I mean, we're, we're, I mean there are examples of data and, and decision-making being biased in the sense of biased against certain population segments or, or you know, ethnic groups or, or that sort of thing. But I think we're, when we're talking about bias here, we're talking about something a little more subtle um, which is really around how is the data best representing the thing that you are trying to achieve? And was it designed to do that in the first place? And so taking a step back and first of all, looking at your data and understanding the biases that your data have uh, from just built in is kind of one angle of that. And then the second angle is looking at the types of personal biases that decision makers have. And, and again, I don't mean leanings in terms of like, you know, you know, am I strongly in favor of one thing versus another? I mean, in terms of predispositions about the data or expectations about what the data is going to show. Um, so a very common one is that you kind of, uh, you kind of like have this idea, I guess, I guess I'm sort of negating my, what I just said before, but you have this kind of preconceived notion and you, you, do analysis on the data and the analysis on the data ends up showing or confirming your, your preconceived notion. That's, that's known as confirmation bias. And that is dangerous because that means that you haven't really fully looked at the data in an effective way. You haven't been objective or neutral about it. Um, and so it's telling the story you wanted to. And so having either somebody else take a look at the data and, and try to perhaps somebody with a different set of viewpoints so that they can kind of conserve as a balance, that might be one way of dealing with that. There are there are several ways of dealing with confirmation bias, and there are several ways of dealing with the other types of bias that you have in decision making. Um, but I think being at a high level, just being cognizant that bias exists, um, it permeates everything. It is not something that can be eliminated, but it can be managed for and and managed to. And and so just having an awareness of that and managing to it, I think, are are big steps forwards in in addressing that. Um, and the reason why I think it's even more important these days is because we're getting to an era where the amount of data that we're receiving, as we we're talking about it in the beginning, the amount of data that we're receiving is growing by leaps and bounds. And so the only way that we're going to be able to process or understand that the, the amount of data that we're receiving is through things like algorithms. And um, that's where exactly where bias comes in. Yeah, um, we, we actually recently had a conversation about um, that that type of idea that, you know, there's not going to be people that are going to be able to manage this data. There's going to be people that are going to be managing systems that manage the data. Because like, just as an example, traffic data, you know, traffic data is a real time stream that never, ever ends. You can, you know, choose little segments of it. But just as an example, trying to store those massive amounts of information for a municipality or for an organization is just not going to be possible. So we're, you know, we have to start looking towards stuff like the the deep learning that Google is doing and the machine learning that, that you know, companies are starting to integrate into their stuff. Um, I'm actually really, really curious where that's going to go in the future. 
Do you have um, Do you have any thoughts about like what the future of data? I guess just open data. I knew you, you you kind of started to, to talk about it with that that machine learning stuff or with the the systems and algorithms and stuff like that. But what what do you think the actual future of open data is going to look like? Because at some point, I almost feel like there's there's we're going to reach a point of saturation where there's just going to be so much data that it is going to be unmanageable. How do you think cities of the future should deal with that? That's a good question, and, and I'm not sure I have clear answers for it. Um, I think that there are some interesting experiments taking place around the world. I'm particularly interested in how Dubai is approaching their data strategy, um, and I'm also interested in uh, drawing a blank on it right now, but there, there's a, a city in Europe as well that's doing some very interesting things. And the reason that I think they're interesting is because the, the governments there are shifting from open data as a, a kind of like government exposed data to more of a data marketplace model where not only are they surfacing their own data and making it accessible, but they're also providing a marketplace for the exchange of data between private between third parties. And I think that's that's a really interesting landscape. I, I'm not sure whether it will succeed here in the US, but I, but the reason that I'm interested in it is because in the same way that we think about, you know, data being the new oil or, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, we haven't really put into place the an effective regulatory landscape around that. We don't tax data transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have processing fees and things like that. And data transactions are all pri- are all third party to third party or, or, you know, private sector to private sector for the most part. And so I think government getting in, in the middle of that in, in, a, in kind of a platform way is, is an interesting notion. Again, I'm not sure that that would succeed here in the US, but it is interesting to observe it overseas and look at what lessons can we pick up from those sorts of implementations and bring back into the US in terms of just how we're supplying data, how we're making, how we're keeping data flowing and how it supports our national economy and our local economies. Yeah. And there's always stuff to learn from other nations, other states, other countries, everything. Um, And actually we could probably talk about this forever, but um, we're, we're, running short on time, I think. So, um, Andrew, can you just do me a favor? Uh, if somebody wants to learn more about op- just open data and, and, and using open data as an actual asset for, you know, internal and external use in government, um, where should they go? Like, what, what are some places they can check out online, um, including the GovX website? You mentioned that you have some resources on there. So can you just share what the website is for that? Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll shamelessly plug whatworkcities.org, um, and that is spelled exactly how it sounds. And then the Center for Government Excellence, which is we're, we're a part of the What Works Cities program. We are at govex, G-O-V-E-X, dot J-H-U, dot E-D-U. We, we have a blog on there and plenty of resources that we share through there. And I think there are plenty of other resources online. I mean, we're certainly not the only kids in town, and we certainly believe that there is a large community, an international community of open data experts, folks like the Sunlight Foundation, like the UK's Open Data Institute. There's really just a, a, quite a collection of really great resources out there. So the, the way we focused our stuff is is very much on trying to help U.S. cities but you know it's not the it's not the only set of resources that exist and shouldn't be thought of that way. Love it. Great. Thank you. I feel like we could have multiple episodes about this. So interesting. Thank you so much for I'm joining us. I'm such a us. nerd. I like I data so much. It's crazy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much to our listeners and thank you Andrew for joining us today. And be sure to engage with us on social media. If you have questions or comments for us, use the hashtag #govgonedigital. 
Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think about this podcast. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. Gilbert, Arizona.